Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Seaspire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 382, and today I'll be talking about Hop, Luck, and Stakeout from Amphibia. I'm GC13. And I'm David. I, I keep forgetting what a cynical show Amphibia can be sometimes. Doesn't Hop Luck really remind you of that? I love how vicious this town is. Its traditions are as medieval as they get. And I love that Sprig failed to mention that there are shame nuggets involved <laughs> in, the, in the cage of shame. It's so wonderful. And yeah, everything's really brutal if you don't look at it through the lens of the cartoony silliness. Anne manages to make her adoptive family have to eat through a monster's neck flesh just for the purpose of, you know, maybe not losing a cooking competition. It's it's ridiculous and it's great, but they they balance the perfect line of, you know, cartoons can have ridiculous elements in them, but I buy into this world just enough and I buy into these characters just enough that while it spends its time being hilarious, it's also unsettling. <laughs> this and it's great and it's like oh this is terrible like i remember the first time i watched this episode years ago the impression it gave me of amphibia is like man Anne is really reckless yes this town is really awful and all these hilarious throwaway things do have consequences over time sprig gets betrothed <laughs> or uh <laughs> that at least was very funny actually yeah, that's not a throwaway thing. It, it it does come back, which is amazing. Because I saw, I checked, I looked, she is in the title sequence at the very end when they show the show logo, and I, I did go back and I checked an early episode, and she's there too, so they didn't do an owl house on us, but she was important enough to make it into the title sequence, just barely, so I'm hoping, and I'm glad you tell me she's back. She's a great character, and how they deal with this thing is is also pretty good so look forward to that oh she seems like a sweetheart i don't know what you're talking about Uh (laughs) uh-huh oh her whole little shtick of i'm stabbing a voodoo doll of spring the voodoo doll is probably just an eccentricity yeah and her dreams of killing sprig or whatever happened in her she didn't say she dreamed of killing him she said she saw her death so in this episode she's a sweetheart an eccentric, uh-huh. and I will hear nothing, nothing more about her. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, not everything is permanent, uh, though. You know, Hop Hop loses his dentures, and Sprig breaks all his teeth while getting the basil leaves. Yeah, <laughs> which it's awesome that all the pizza ingredients in the world of Amphibia require immense bravery, or as Hop Hop later points out, stupidity to collect. It's so strange and dumb, but it does tell you why Anne gets used to eating bugs. It's because while she could probably get the provisions to make somewhat Earth-like food, it is uh, prohibitively dangerous. All of that stuff is true, but it's not why I think the show is cynical. What I think Hopluck did to be so cynical is because both Anne is wrong and Hoppop is wrong. They're both being very, very stupid for this episode. Hop Pop's wrongness is, I mean, both of their wrongness is pretty obvious, but Hop Pop's is a lot easier to summarize. He just wants to keep doing the same thing he always does, even though he knows exactly what the result is going to be, and he's deluded himself into thinking it's going to be different this time. He's Far Cry 3-ing himself with a, have I ever told you the definition of insanity? 
Whereas Anne is going completely the opposite direction. It's old and therefore bad. We need to focus on doing new things, ignoring how dangerous, as we've seen, they are. Although, let's be honest, the, uh, let's substitute prunes for tomatoes. Get real, guys. Yeah. No, I do appreciate the approaches to both characters. I also am always on top of the definitions of words, and cynical clearly means worlds which are dangerous and not, oh, look at these people's worldviews and how dumb they both are. (laughs) Well, a cynical world would also, depending on what kind of cynicism you're talking about, this is the more of the, if you've ever seen the old cartoon image of, define cynicism, a guy is asking another, well, standing next to a globe wearing an I'm with stupid shirt. That's this kind of cynicism we're talking about here. Right, I was thinking about how, like, terrible the townspeople are and how terrible their traditions are, and then that just got me off into thinking about how terrible everything is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, people being awful to each other is is another mark of cynicism, yes. Yes. Well, it's great because... I, I like that these episodes are, are paired together and, you know, there's sometimes silent themes or perhaps obvious themes between paired episodes. It's a cool thing that, you know, 11 minute shows don't always pair their episodes together for any reason, right? Like, I can't think of any pair of SpongeBob episodes that meaningfully do this, but Amphibia is, while it's not going for hardcore narrative continuation right now in season one, it's doing. Uh, something that Steven Universe didn't do early on, which is having a little bit of narrative through lines between pairs. So that's kind of fun. And I like that they actually have a better relationship in the first episode than they do in the second. And it's not <laughs> yes. like it was tumbling towards it being worse. They just decide to have a fight because they're both sitting on a couch. And then they both remember, oh, yeah, we have completely different worldviews about how to approach everything. One is tradition and the other is Uh, always do something new and innovative. And I think that's hilarious because it is perfectly applicable to, like, children watching the show. Like, I think they would connect with Anne or feel how they felt around their grandparents who are like, I love my nasty old recipe of things suspended in jello and marshmallows covered (laughs) in sour cream, you know, (laughs) and all these other terrible things. But but, uh, you're talking about recipes and terrible things. I'm going to say, I think Anne won herself a lot of friends with her her very hard stance on pineapples on pizza. I know she has my vote. Poor Sprig is almost killed by Hop Up and Anne in the second episode. But uh, in Hop Luck, Anne just holds Sprig up by his neck, Homer style, against the wall just because he mentioned a fruit he's not even aware of. That's ridiculous. And chill out. He knows about pineapples. He he knows what they are. He came up with pineapples all on his own. Yeah, but he doesn't understand that it's such an atrocious combination. Or at least to Anne, yes. who is apparently violent upon, you know, touching this subject. I'm just saying, if more people who believe the right way acted like Anne, people with the wrong ideas about pizza wouldn't be spreading those wrong ideas. I'm just saying. Right. Authoritarianism. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's... Hey, it's the modern era. Let's go. Oh, Lord. So, yeah, meanwhile, while Anne and, S- and Sprig and Hop-Hop sort of have, you know, Anne and Hop-Hop have their disagreements. Sprig's trying to be supportive or helpful. Polly's just to the side doing her thing, and I love it because she continually proves herself not to be a child. I love that immediately upon coming out of the tomato plants, she screams at them and spits at them. 
<laughs> like a true your place. boss, yes. <laughs> and then she's the only one who manages to be uh, a rational thinker in the second episode, despite ending up with drugs in her yeah. system anyway. I mean, I'm going to say Sprig was thinking rationally. He just also exercised a little bit of the old wishful thinking. But it was a rational plan. He should have been more cynical. Right. Yes, he should have been more cynical. These two are very obviously terrible people who will, you know, argue with each other if given the chance. Although it was Anne's fault that time. I feel the need to point out. Yeah. Also, okay, so we've only, like, talked around the second episode. We haven't really, like, talked about its plot, whereas Hopluck's plot obviously is just making a gross fly pie. So the whole hallucinogenic journey to connect Hop Hop and Anne is funny because they just are impressed by each other's, like, willingness to fight for each other, which I wouldn't say is, like, the foundation of relationships in my life. (laughs) It's not, like, the, the, um, willingness to put up arms for one's brethren. You know, that's, that's a fun one that they bonded over. Helpful in the world of Amphibia, for sure, but not exactly what, like, the most key component is, which is maybe, like, unconditional acceptance first. But sure, it's nice that they know. Shared interests would also be helpful. <laughs> right. They they don't have... Well, they'll, they'll learn more in either way. If only Hop Hop knew sitcoms and how good he was at emulating them by accident. Yeah. <laughs> but luckily... Well, have, has it been alluded to yet that Hop Hop enjoys acting? Have we seen him with a book yet? That happens pretty early on in season one. Uh... That was the that was the so you're a failed actor. Yeah, that was in the episode where they went to the lake, actually. Yeah, so there there will be more time to see him maybe uh, expand on his, you know, accidentally wonderful abilities. But that say what line, funnily enough, will, uh, spoiler, come back in the future. It's not really like a narrative spoiler, but it is a joke spoiler. Are we going to get a zoom in and a laugh track? Uh, hmm, it is used in an in a funny way that I didn't realize was even a callback. Again, this is my first time rewatching, and, you know, there's, like, season three episode that uses the say what line, and now I'm, like, thinking, <laughs> I don't even remember if Hop Hop ever says say what in the rest of the show. Like, they just, they just did it this early on, and then somebody somewhere later on the road, maybe even a new writer on the team, was like, oh, that line delivery was incredible. <laughs> like, whoever voiced Hop Hop just said say what one time. And they just were like, this is better than the original say what meme, you know? Have I have I complained about Anne's shoe lately? It feels <laughs> like it's been a few weeks. Uh, I actually don't have any complaints about Anne's shoe, so I'm very interested. What's wrong? Well, I- I'm just saying she only has one of them, and she does live in a world filled with cobblers who know how to make shoes. You'd think at some point, someone would help a girl out. I'm just saying. Anne's collection of possessions is a strange and ever-flexible thing. For instance, she just has an unopened bottle of energy drink when convenient. I was wondering about that, because it's like, shouldn't she be treating her consumable human artifacts as a little bit more precious? Whereas with this, it's like, no, no, I'm going to bust this out. I'm going to crush this steak out, no problem. But also, she didn't drink that in the first couple of weeks of being stuck in Amphibia all alone. Like, how many calories did she have available? Yeah, you'd think that would have come out during her her time of horror in the in the woods. She didn't seem to enjoy it. 
but yeah, who knows? I mean, also her phone is still going, still able to look up pictures. It's a good thing she either took a picture of a pizza or had downloaded a JPEG of a pizza to be able to show to Sprig and Polly. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna say that was a, that was her cat, not a random cat video she found on the internet. I'm getting my owl house and my amphibia mixed up. Yeah, no internet connection. I don't know, man. I wouldn't put it past her to have Wi-Fi. No, she she doesn't ever have an internet connection. Now, let's see here. Stakeout was Polly. Polly was Polly was really good in that in that entire episode. Just you know, she's the. Is that like a stock character, the child who's much smarter than the adults around them? That's definitely an archetype. Yeah, not stock character archetype. That's the word I was looking for. But I did like Spriggs, you sure can just he repeats it over and over and over that you're right, Polly, you can't do that as he <laughs> as he leaves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just hang us a big old lampshade on that. Like, yes, Sprig, we every the audience knows Sprig, you can go. Yeah. You know, you can only do that kind of joke in special circumstances without it feeling like the family guy, you know, Peter hurting his knee and holding it for a minute. Like when you drag out a joke like that. But I, I, I did enjoy Sprig, you know, really trying to just basically get attention from Polly. That's that's what that really communicates. I don't think he had to stick his head back in over the corner. I think that might have been a uh, a repetition too far, but <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't hurt it that much. I was still greatly amused. I mean, it builds on Sprig's character. It's not out of character. That's another, like, that's a type of joke where a character might do it and you're like, why? But... For Sprig, it makes sense. <laughs> it, it, it greatly makes sense. Because she hadn't reacted enough for his liking, so... Yes. Come on, come on, Polly. What did he think he did with the corn, though? Um, right, where does he hide it? I don't know, there's an abandoned house next door that he can just throw corn into, so... Perhaps, perhaps. I don't know, you really think, like, even Steve in Steven Universe, the with the golf quest and the Rose's Room... Steven even makes a reference to having to eat all of the creamed corn because he wanted the the empty cans. Right, and he does have to go to the bathroom really badly later, so. Yeah, Steven does, but not Sprig, so we know he didn't eat it. Yeah, I mean, also, it's not like they were going to run and check the basement first for corn, so who knows. Hmm. But yes, it is a, it's not a plot hole in so much as a thing not described in the episode. It's just, we just take for granted that Sprig can take all the corn and hide it somewhere. Which I didn't even think about in this episode, because I don't watch these episodes critically. You'd think they would have made a joke about it, is what I'm saying. Right, it was an opportunity. Hey Sprig, how come my, how come the door to the basement is locked? Oh, don't worry about that, you got a stakeout to go to! Oh, you're right! Or something like that. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is Sprig's plan isn't, like, loosely held together. He executes it just fine. The problem is Anne and Hop-Hop. Anne. Anne is the problem. <laughs> yeah, which I like that. The thing that Sprig did wrong wasn't a part of the plan that he envisioned. It was the premise of the plan. The premise that I could get these two to like each other if only they would hang out with each other. They've been hanging out with each other all day, Sprig. That's <laughs> exactly. the problem. Exactly. So it's a clean implementation of that idea instead of trying to muddy it with him only barely getting the plan to work in the first place. I will say the rainbow sparkly hair was a nice touch. Yes, so there are two allusions to the future in this episode as well. So, you know, again, spoiler territory. At this point, you know what? This podcast, we're covering a show that's in its third season. 
none of this is fresh news. I, I'm just going to talk about spoilers for the rest of time. Uh, why, why do I have to say spoiler? Anyway, so Anne having blue sparkly hair is, to me, it feels like an allusion to the future, just like her blue pupils in episode one. You may or may not see a design featuring such a character shift in the future, which I find interesting. Mm-hmm. Of course, Hop-Hop never becomes T-Pop, which, yes, I will copyright that. It's a great name. But who knows, maybe we'll see him with a pothead someday. Or maybe he just smokes a lot of pot, and that's not something that yeah. we ever get except in the subtext of the show like here. I mean, he was an actor, so not a musician, but up there still. But also, so what got my head turning is at the end of the episode, Polly also just for some reason has a robot friend at the end appear and, you know, she rides away with it. Bouldertron. I don't know how, because it's not like we're living in a middle evil world here. But I will say that that does reference a very specific relationship Polly has in the future. Which is interesting. So I do feel like they are playing with my um, lore strings in my head just a little. Playing games with your heart? I'm fascinated to see that because that was one heck of an ending. It's I I felt like I was watching an episode of Rugrats or something. (laughs) Like Phil is uh, initiating takeoff on the uh, spaceship disguised as a playhouse or something. Yeah, it's kind of one of those, well, how are we going to end this episode? I don't know. (laughs) Polly also drinks the last sip of the soda, and then they ride off into the sunset on a robot rock. It's a fitting enough end for a crazy, crazy episode. But still, someone someone make this girl another shoe. Come on. <laughs> Have a heart. What am I talking about? Have a heart. These are people who put, a, put you in a shame cage and throw shame nuggets at you if you'd give food that's not to their satisfaction. So, of course they're not going to make her a shoe. That guy was still being carried around by that fly alive weeks after he was picked up in the first episode. Still up here. Still need help. Yeah. <laughs> this world is harsh, GC. It's just a harsh place. And apparently Hot Pop has a battering ram to get into his bathroom if you've been in there too long for his liking. Oh, God. I wish I could remember the the Timmy's dad quote with the battering ram. <laughs> Well, I'm respecting your privacy by knocking, but asserting my authority as your parent by coming in anyway. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but wrong network. We can't get any references to that because it's wrong network. Bad. Uh-huh. Yes, we're Disney exclusive now. Contracts and all. Mm, sad. So sad. Anyway, guys, that's been us on Hop, Luck, and Stakeout. Join us next week. Until then, I'm GC13. And I'm David. Don't forget to leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com.